Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Morning, everybody. So, who uh, won the headstand contest this year? That's uh, being debated. Oh. It's a very controversial because I saw somebody, was it you, Carrie? You weren't doing that, were you, on that picture? Who was that on the picture there? April. Oh, really? Somebody was trying to dethrone Clint. Did they do it? Maybe. Okay. Uh, uh, you weren't there. Oh, you weren't doing it this year. Someone pushed uh, I always liked the headstand contest because I could get, usually it was Doug, Jardine, and Clint, and then, you know, after they're like five minutes on your head upside down, like the, the veins in your head, they're sticking out, and their eyes are bulging out, and it was kind of funny, really. Kind of... <laughs> well, welcome. Uh, glad you're here today. And uh, while we wait is uh, the... The title of the, uh, the message today, and we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you brought a Bible, I hope you have a Bible. You should always bring your Bible to church, even if you look at the screen, you should bring a Bible, because this is where it's at. This is where the truth is found, as uh, Kim said, and we need to uh, remember that. I, I guess you could say I've been kind of waiting for this day. Um, you know, when you think of your, your last day at work, you know, what's it going to be like? Um, you know, we were driving over, and it was just coming down rain, and I'm thinking, that's what's going to happen. We're going to go off the road, and I'll miss it. <laughs> but we got here all right. I slowed down. And, and uh, so, yeah, this is uh, kind of a, uh, I guess maybe it'll kind of I'll be thinking more about it later. Right now, I'm just, uh, yeah, here I am. Um, and I think I might have told this story. I, there's some folks here that... Uh, part of our church in Sutherland's River, and um, I might have told this to them when I left there. But anyway, I remember my brother, Don. He's uh, a couple of years younger than me, and um, he had to go get his tonsils out. Back then, every, you know, almost every kid got their tonsils out before they went to school. I think he was four. He just turned four, and I remember for his birthday, he got a doctor kit, you know, a little black bag, and that's back when the days when doctors would come to your house, and, and our doctor smoked a cigar, and he'd say, what's the matter with you, boy? And it was... That's the way doctors were back then. So uh, he had his doctor kit, and he was looking forward to going to a hospital. Wow, he's going to the hospital. And so I remember the day he was going, and he was in the living room, and he had this little suit on. He had his suitcase. And he had his doctor kit. And he kind of stood there, and he looked at everybody, and he said, I don't think I'll go. <laughs> but he went. <laughs> so I kind of feel that, that too, uh, ambivalent. But um, uh, what I enjoy about this day is that I'm not leaving the church. Uh, well, I'm going to California, but that's, sorry. that's another story. But we're not leaving the church. We're still a part of, of FBC, Faith Baptist Church. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's what we're glad about. Um, so what are you waiting for? Now, you might be waiting for lunch. And I should tell you that Alex finished last Sunday at 25 to 12. Like, that's a record. And he preached a really good sermon. It was really good. I told him that. It was just an excellent sermon. 
So I get to use up his 25 minutes if I need to. So just let you know, right? Because Steve and I believe in, you know, you're getting, you know, the, your full hour at least. Um, but, you know, we're always waiting for something, right? And, you know, I tend to be worrying along with the waiting. It's, you know, the next thing we're going to do, the next stage of life, the next transition. I can remember when I was a younger dad and my, you know, kids are home growing up and used to worry about money. You know, we're going to have enough money. We're going to get, you know, make it. And uh, God consistently supplied. Uh, I was thinking this morning, I never missed a meal, never missed a payment. All that worrying for nothing. And God said, don't worry about that. I'll take care of it. And he does. And so I can say after all these years, wow, you know, I should have just kind of taken it easy and, and not worried. And, and you should too. Um, we worry about our kids. How are our kids going to turn out? And that's just kind of human nature. But you know, we have less control over our kids than we think we do. God has more control, and God foreordains our children's lives. So we're just wasting our time worrying, and we should just give that to God. I, I was uh, reading a novel the other day, just, uh, you know, fiction, uh, uh, and I was thinking how life is like a good novel. I was in the middle of the novel, and the characters are building, and the tension and the drama in the novel is building, and I want to get to the end because I want to see how the hero is going to resolve this story that's driving me crazy. And uh, it was hard to wait for the end. And when I finally got to the end, I was glad I waited. But life is kind of like that. You're in the middle of it. You want to know how it's going to end. And, and, and we're waiting. This whole idea of waiting is hard on us. It's hard for us. And yet it's really linked with trust. Are we going to really trust God like we say we do? Are we really going to do it or are we going to worry about it? Um, John 14, 3 pretty familiar uh, scripture, 14.1, um, do not let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Now, we believe that God will return, that Jesus will return as promised. This is a promise. We believe that Jesus will come back and he will rule as king over the earth and he's going to restore all things. So this whole idea of while we wait, what are we going to do while we wait? Are we going to get caught up in the tension of life which can lead us toward fear or are we going to be trusting the promise of God? This is where the rubber meets the road and you can measure it in your own life. You know how much worrying and anxiety you have, and you know how much trust you have. And I want to exhort you to trust. I would suggest this. Um, people say they don't have time for a devotional life. Take some of the time you spend worrying and spend it in this book. And spend it in prayer. Um, because if you're worrying, you're probably not getting much else done. Uh, it's pretty hard to worry and do much else. So I would just suggest take some of that time and invest it in a regular devotion life. It's made all the difference in my life. I struggled to get it going when I was a younger Christian, uh, but I worked at it. I, I was determined that I was going to have a, uh, I was going to be able to feed myself from the Word of God, and that makes all the difference. We're going to be talking about Bible prophecy today, and uh, prophecy is what drew me to trust the Word of God when I was reading this book by Hal Lindsey called... Uh, 1980s, down to Armageddon, 
It's probably written in like 1979. Like that just seems like forever ago. It's almost 40 years ago. And uh, it drew me to trust in the word of God because he said, look, look at these predictions and, and, and these predictions have already happened and it looks like these predictions are happening now and it's all forecast in the Bible. It was predicted in the Bible and I thought, gee, the claim is true. It's, it's supernatural. This isn't just a, a collection of ancient writings. This is a, the word of God that predicts things. And I'll tell you, if you can predict the future, you get my attention. I've loved to study the prophecy and, and to do what Jesus said, to watch and pray. Uh, Titus chapter 2 um, talks a little bit about um, how we should view it. Uh, verse 11 of Titus 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We call it our blessed hope. I don't know what you're, usually you're waiting for something you're hoping in. Uh, and I want to give you a bigger hope. You might be hoping for, uh, you know, a new car or a new friend or a new something else. And... The blessed hope, the biggest hope you can have according to God is the hope in his return, the hope to meet him. And it should be like a magnet for us. You know, we have a, a lot of things that draw our attention and draw our desires downward. And the blessed hope in Christ, it ought to draw us upward. And that's, you know, it, it, it really kind of depends where we're going to put our gaze. Like quite often the scriptures will say, you know, set your mind on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, not in the things of this world. Because that draws you down. Um, we talk a lot about the gospel in our church. We believe the gospel is paramount. And I just wanted to say this about the gospel. It is absolutely crucial that when we explain the gospel to people, we explain the whole gospel. Okay? So we tend to go, Jesus uh, died on the cross and rose again. And if you accept him as your Savior, he'll forgive you for your sins. But that's kind of the, the heart of the gospel. That's not all the gospel. The gospel begins with prophecy. The gospel begins with predictions. All through the Old Testament, God predicted a Savior for the world. God predicted it would come through a man called Abraham, who would have a son called Israel, who uh, through that nation and through a family from Judah, the line of David, would be born the Messiah. And so this whole idea of prediction is integral to the gospel. Why else would anybody believe the Bible if the Bible couldn't predict the future? If the Bible wasn't saying this is going to happen and it actually happened, then God must be involved in that because people can't do that. And then the other end is the, the promises of retur his return. So it's like bookends for the, for the gospel. The promise of Christ's return is absolutely paramount. If Jesus came the first time and the Bible says he's coming again, then that's a promise and we need to put our trust in it. So the prophecy and the promise are like supernatural bookends to the heart of the truth of God. So this coming month uh, in, in our church, we're, good, we're following the gospel project in their curriculum, which takes us through a whole cycle of Bible reading and study for three years. So what uh, the children are learning this morning, uh, we're going to do the same passage and hopefully it fosters family communication. And, um, but you know, uh, it's gonna be largely focused in the book of Revelation in, in the month of August. 
So some of our guys are going to be preaching on the book of Revelation. And I just want to suggest that you read along with this. This is a good month to read the book of Revelation and read some of the Old Testament prophecies because this is stuff you got to know. Um, some of the, the, the scriptures I've, uh, I think are important, Isaiah uh, chapter 2, chapter 11, Isaiah 24, 25, Isaiah 63, 66. You should know those scriptures if you're going to read Revelation. Um, you should read uh, quite a bit in Ezekiel, especially Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, and 39. Otherwise, uh, Revelation doesn't make a great deal of sense without Ezekiel. Um, if you really want to understand Revelation, you need, to be, you need to read the whole book of Daniel, but especially 2, 7, 9, 11, and 12. You, that, Daniel is the key to Revelation. If you want to understand Revelation, you've got to read Daniel. And then there's the book of Joel, the book of Zechariah. The Old Testament is loaded with prophecy, and you need to read, uh, read all about it. <clears throat> so let's uh, get back to Second, Second Peter. We'll do some reading here. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. Wrote First Peter, this is Second Peter. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. I think it's kind of human nature to scoff and doubt the second coming. So, you know, do you do that? I'm sure you know people that do that. Scoffers. A scoffer in the Bible, sometimes translated mocker, uh, God holds them in kind of low esteem. God doesn't think a whole lot of scoffers and mockers. Um, they tend to uh, be very proud people who ridicule the things of God, um, mocking the things of Christ, mocking the word of God. And uh, if you read the book of uh, Proverbs, there's different people in Proverbs. There's the fool, and uh, there's the, the wise person, and um, the sluggard, and uh, the mocker. And um, you don't want to be a fool, you don't want to be a sluggard, and you don't want to be a mocker. And mocker is kind of at the bottom. People who have a disdain for God. And there's, the world is kind of full of scoffers and mockers. They seem to get a lot of press. Uh, they influence us. And there's a reason they influence us. It's because there's part of us that wants to hear that. Like, you know, um, one of the things the scoffer will say is evil is good. And, and good is evil. And, and that's kind of like an oxymoron. Like it, that's really not true, but it kind of appeals to us because, you know, we, we sort of like evil a little bit, and we are sort of drawn to it. And, um, and good, we can't quite measure up to good, so if we can reduce good a little bit down to our level, then we kind of like that. Um, scoffers will say there's no God, and that kind of appeals to us because then there's no accountability. I can do what I want and get away with it. I don't have to answer to anybody. I'm growing up. I don't have to answer to my mother. Well, I kind of do because, you know, if I 
she, if I do something and she found out about it, she'd probably, you know, say, what are you doing, son? Um, I don't have to uh, answer to my wife, well, whoa, better not go too far down that road. Um, you betcha. <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, I can hide stuff, right? I can hide stuff from my mother or from my wife or from anybody. Uh, but if I can't hide anything from God, then I'm in trouble. And so the scoffers say, don't worry about it. There's no God. There's no judgment. Do what you want. You're going to get away with it. And you know, that's just not true. It's just flat out a lie. But there's part of us wants to believe it. Why don't people want to believe in God anyway? I think the biggest reason is that we have our own desires and we want to do what we want and God gets in the way. And so... Uh, you know, you, people can come up with all kinds of reasons why not to believe in God, but they're no different than the reasons why you can believe in God. You know, they say, well, you can't see God. Um, yeah, but you can't see all kinds of things. You can't see the Big Bang either, but people believe in that. You can't see evolution, but people believe in that. So it's really a matter of where you want to put your faith. And it's easier to put your faith in something else than to put your faith in God. It's kind of hard to put your faith in God. Why? Because you get scoffed at and you get mocked and then you feel accountable and then you want to do what's right. And it's just all these things kind of lead you maybe away from what everybody else is doing. One of the biggest uh, uh, things in our generation, probably in every generation, is sexual desire and its expression outside of the parameters, the fences that God put around it, is one of the biggest uh, battles to sidetrack your faith. <clears throat> it's not a big deal for me at this stage in the game. Not as big as it was. Um, but when I was 18, I didn't listen to any of that. And I know a lot of you didn't either. Um, we were taught that, uh, you know, God put a fence around everything and, and he wanted us to obey his commands. Um, but the culture said, ah, don't worry about it. Sex is just for fun. Just go have a ball. And um, they never talked much about the fact that sex is for procreation. Procreation, that means that we get the privilege of being involved in creating a life. And that's always the potential with sexuality. And the reason God put uh, fences around it was to protect it, lest we have unwanted babies. Do we ever have unwanted babies? Yeah, sadly we do. Uh, our uh, <clears throat> culture has aborted millions of babies in the last 40 years. Millions. You know, what did God say when... Uh, uh, Cain killed Abel, and he said, the blood of uh, your, the, the voice of your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. I think all this death and destruction of unwanted babies cries out to God for vengeance. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I've given several of the men who have teenage boys in our church a, a book called Purity by Randy Alcorn, and I've got a few more copies on order and, you know, I'm still kind of hanging around, right? So, you know, I might be done, but I'm kind of not done. Um, but I really think it's important, and it's, uh, it's just a small book, uh, but it's really well written. And what I wanted to do was the dads to read it with their boys. And then I thought, maybe I should tell the moms so you can read it with your girls. Because it's not just written for, for guys. Because it's absolutely critical that we communicate with our teenage sons and daughters, about the will of God for their sexuality. The decisions that you make 
as a teenager about your sexuality will affect your whole life, right? You, I, I tell you, you ask anybody who's uh, kind of gone through that stage, and they'll tell you that. Uh, let me just say this. Abstinence and waiting will never let you down. Now, people mock it. The scoffers say, oh, abstinence, you can't tell them that. That's just foolish. No, it's not. Just wait, and God will bless you. God will bless you. So scoffers mock morality. Scoffers, we're looking at it here, mocking uh, the second coming. Um, especially, uh, you know, where is this coming, he's promised? I, I think there's a lot of echoes of that in our generation. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't know much about the second coming. I really didn't know anything about it. I knew about Jesus, but our church never really spent much time on the second coming. And I remember an expression I would hear adults say, slower than the second coming of Christ. And uh, that's kind of how people thought about it. It was sort of became a, you know, a, kind of a joke. And, uh, you know, if somebody was slow, that's how slow they were, slower than the second coming of Christ. Um, so there's this whole thing of worldviews. So scoffers have a secular worldview. So there's a secular worldview, and there's a spiritual worldview. Um, the secular worldview makes life look like it's ageless. That's what they're saying here. Everything just goes on since the beginning of creation. Nothing ever changes. It's just been here forever. It looks like, uh, to them, they look, it looks like they say it's self-directed. You know, there was no agent of creation. There's no giant brain behind everything. It just was a fluke. It just kind of popped into being and... All this complexity and incredible life we see, just, a, just dumb luck, blind chance. And you get this evolutionary barrage. Um, uh, this attack against the word of God, even the schools. Um, a friend of mine is here today, and she told me that uh, in uh, her daughter's uh, class, um, the teacher was saying that, you know, uh, um, God, uh, the Bible didn't mean what it said when it talked about homosexuality in school. I didn't know they did that in school. I thought they weren't allowed to do that in school. But it's this barrage against uh, the Word of God, this ridicule of creation theology. Um, but <clears throat> secularism kind of forgets some things. Um, secularism has deceived a lot of people. Now, when I was... Uh, my Allie was in grade 11, grade 12, and I was looking at her biology textbook, grade 12 biology textbook. And I just was thinking of, you know, what's, what's new? I wonder if they've corrected some of the mistakes. And you think, well, what mistakes? Well, back in the early 20th century, there was a lot of faking of missing links going on. I don't know if you know that or not, but they would fake uh, ape men and in different places in different times because they were so desperate to find a missing link. If they could just produce a missing link, it would just put all this God stuff to rest and the scoffers would have their day. And so <clears throat> generations believed in all these faking, faked missing links and then they became uh, brought to the surface in the late 20th century. These were all fakes. But you know, I never read that in the book. They never said, oh, sorry, we faked you. We cheated and lied and corrupted a whole generation's thinking away from God. They just went on like nothing happened. Um, I remember when I was in university, and I didn't do very good in chemistry. Actually, I failed chemistry. 
I absolutely hated chemistry. I don't know why on earth I thought I could take university chemistry. Anyway, it was just a disaster. But um, we were learning about Stanley Miller's experiment. Stanley Miller, you know, he was going to create life. And he got all these chemicals together, and then he zapped it with lightning, and poof, he, he built life, built amino acids. But they never said that Stanley Miller cheated when he did that, that instead of uh, going with the chemicals that might have been on the earth at that time, he just went with the chemicals that he knew would work. And other scientists said he cheated, but that was never in the book. And I was, I was reading about 20 years after he did that. So, secularism uh, can be deceptive. Constant secularism numbs us to the reality of God. And uh, that's really hit home to me lately. Um, I'm immersed in the, in the church. I've been a Christian since 1981. Like, it's just, it's just, it's, it's just everything in my head. Um, it's my life. And that's kind of the way it is for most Christians. It's just kind of who we are. And, and yet, sometimes you meet people that it's just not full, that way at all, and you realize how different it is. What a different way to look at the, the world. Um, I believe in the creation. I believe in a creator, a personal creator, God who created. Um, if you believe in evolution, that's just radically different. Um, I believe there was a worldwide flood, just like the Bible says in, in Genesis uh, 6 through 9. I believe in a man named Noah, and I believe he built an ark, and, and I believe God flooded the whole world as a, uh, as a judgment on the earth. Um, I believe in the incarnation. The incarnation is that God became a human being. I believe in that. That's kind of central to the Christian faith. His name is Jesus. He's the Son of God. Um, it's incredible that God would become a man. And yet, that's who we read about in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and that's who we're waiting for. We're waiting for the kind of the second incarnation of God into this world. And then we're, we believe in the judgment. And the judgment is, um, you're going to stand before God one day. You remember when you used to have to stand before the principal? I remember back in the days when the principal would, would be carrying something. It was either a stick or a strap. <laughs> and man, I'll tell you, it was a fearsome thing. I was a good talker, and I would often talk my way out of the strap. Some people didn't, uh, but anyway, there was a fear that went on there, and, and um, uh, I don't think God wants us to be afraid of us, or uh, us to be afraid of him, but he wants us to revere him. You're going to meet God one day. That's going to make the principal look like a bug. <laughs> like, you're not, you know what you're going to do when you, when you meet God? What do you think you're going to do when you meet God? You're going to be flat on your face like this. Like it's going to be like you're dead. You're going to wish you never saw him if you don't know him. I'll tell you, I know him because I, I believe in Jesus. I, I, I'm still going to be on my face because it's going to be so much bigger and beyond what I can handle. I would imagine it's just boom, down I'm going to go. Wow, what a day that's going to be. Meet God. Well, let's get on to this. Uh, yeah, I'm going to need that 25 minutes right on going here. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? Hallelujah. Pastor, <laughs> preach it. Um, second coming. Uh, just, just some things about the second coming. All nine authors in the New Testament talk about the second coming. 23 out of 27 books talk about the second coming. It's mentioned 318 times, they say. I never counted it, but I'll trust the, the one who did. 
uh, in the New Testament. It's the second most covered doctrine in the New Testament. Only the doctrine of salvation is mentioned more than the second coming of Christ. In the Old Testament, the second coming of Christ is mentioned eight times more than the first coming. So it's a big deal. And yet I believe it's neglected by the church. Uh, it doesn't get preached on. I don't hear Christians talking much about it. And Crossway, who published a lot of Christian books in our day, they won't even publish books on it. So how did we get here? Like, like in 1981, that's all we talked about. You know, people were uh, ready to run for the hills, and we just thought the, the Lord's coming was uh, right around the corner. I would say one reason is um, the over-speculating and over-predicting of the past 30 or 40 years. There was a lot of that done, and a lot of it wasn't biblical. Um, we need a New Testament balance. But what I find in uh, a lot of newer writings is that post-millennialism, which our church has historically been premillennialism, which means Jesus is going to come first and then the kingdom. Postmillennialism, <laughs> say that fast. Postmillennialism says that Jesus is going to come after the kingdom. In other words, the church is going to set up the kingdom. That's just foolish. That's just, that's the worst theology I've ever heard in my life. That sounds like secularism to me. I don't know where they get it. Um, well, the other thing I see coming back into vogue is replacement theology. And uh, disappointingly, I found it. I've got an ESV study Bible. I was going to bring it today. I forgot it. It weighs about 18 pounds. Uh, it's a great door opener. But I've been reading it all year. I, I really like it. I like the ESV. And I, I haven't had a, I don't usually use a study Bible, but I've been enjoying it. So this spring I read Revelation. And I was really disappointed. Because Wayne Grudem is the general editor of the ESV study Bible. Uh, he's one of the most popular and capable modern theologians. I have one of his books on his systematic theology. But when I read his systematic theology and I read what he had to say about eschatology, I was just really disappointed. Uh, because what creeps in to the uh, ESV study Bible is replacement theology. Like in, in, where it says in Revelation, do you have that scripture, Don? Revelation uh, 7 verse 4. Um, it says, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Well, in the ESV study Bible commentary, it says, no, it's not Israel. That's not Israel. Oh, okay, it says Israel. Uh, uh, Revelation 11, 1 and 2. Um, uh, again, uh, 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 it says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. And verse 2 says, but exclude the outer court, do not measure it, but it's given over to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Uh, it says, well, they say that that's, that's not the, the, the Jewish temple. That's the temple of the body. And I'm thinking, what? Like it's just this old Reformation theology that I think is just in error. Um, replacement theology is deadly because what replacement theology says, anytime you see Israel in the Bible or the New Testament, just think church. Well, that's not what it says. It's an interpretation, and I think it's a false interpretation. This is what I believe about the book of Revelation. It's futuristic. It predicts the future. It hasn't happened yet, and it's going to happen. And the other thing I believe in the book of Revelation, it's chronology. Revelation 2 comes after 1. Revelation uh, 
seven comes after six. There's a, a chronology of events. And what I've been reading lately from uh, a lot of modern commentators is well, we don't know what it means. And I'm thinking, what? How do we get from overdoing it to neglecting it completely? Um, so I believe and have been taught, and, and I, uh, have, I, I'm a dispensational theologian kind of guy. Uh, it has weaknesses, um, and that's this over-speculating and, and over-predicting. Uh, um, uh, some of those dispensationalists, what they did, they, they went too far. You start naming the Antichrist. You know, uh, they thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. And then they thought George Bush, well, he'd make a good Antichrist. And Bill Clinton, man, that was a great Antichrist. And then uh, George Bush, too, well, yeah, he could be the Antichrist. And then Obama comes along and says, oh, my gosh, he's the perfect Antichrist. And now Trump. You know, and so it on and on it goes. Is this the Antichrist? No, it's not. You're not going to know it's him until... God reveals who it is. Um, it's like uh, naming dates. Jesus said, no one knows the day. So when somebody starts naming dates, like one of the books back in the day was uh, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. <laughs> the book is a lie. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. So what they did was because they, in uh, Matthew 24 says, this generation will not pass away to all these things become fulfilled. And they said, well, generations 40 years, and Israel became a nation in 1948. So 1988, that's it? And then, and then, <laughs> then they, next year, they, 1989. <laughs> and they, they quit around 92. They just give up on it because it was just wrong. It was, it's bad theology. Why do I believe that dispensation theology, even though it has weaknesses, will prove largely true. I believe a two-stage coming. I believe that the rapture precedes the actual second coming to earth. What did Jesus say in, in John 14, 3? I'll go and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where is he now? Is he in the air? Where is he? He's in heaven. And he's going to take the bride to heaven. Uh, J.I. Packer said there's, there's not enough specific scripture to, to address the rapture. Well, look at the analogies in scripture. And Jesus talked about the bridegroom and the Jewish wedding feast and all the meanings in that. And what, is, what does the bridegroom do? He goes and he takes the bride from her house and he takes her to his father's house. I think what Jesus was saying, that's what he's going to do. That's what John 14, uh, 3 means. Um, why? You know, at, the, uh, at Revelation 19, you have the marriage supper of the Lord. Well, what's a marriage supper? Well, marriage supper is what you do when you go get your bride and you have a ceremony and then you have a feast, right? And so what comes after that? Then is the second coming. So how's the bride going to be at the marriage supper if the bride isn't going to get caught up to heaven but is going to be just meet the Lord in the air and come down? Like, you've got to think of these things. I think about them a lot. Israel is prominent in the book of Revelation. If you can say that all these scriptures about Israel in the book of Revelation are really about the church, that's just, I think, bad theology. And I hope you, uh, some of you care enough about it to dig into these things and understand, read and understand what the scripture says. What are some of the signs his coming is near? Well, in 2 Thessalonians um, it says, verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Um, verse 11, for this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. 
Um, there's something big coming. I didn't hear yet. I, I think we're kind of seeing things going on. I was listening to something on the way over in CBC about how this author, about how bad the world's getting. Like, people are just kind of, what's going on? Um, and it's nothing compared to what's coming because there's a delusion coming that will come upon the whole world. Do you know that? And it's related to the lie. You know what the lie is? We're going to read about the lie in a minute here. Um, what's another uh, sign of his coming? Uh, I'll give you one verse, Ezekiel 37, verse 21. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land of the mountains of Israel. And then he talks about how in the latter days he will bring uh, uh, armies from the north to attack Israel dwelling in the land. Well, that's what's going on today. What about what Jesus said? Matthew uh, 24, 15. When you see standing in the holy place, what's the holy place? Oh, it was the uh, second most interior part of the temple spoken through the prophet Daniel. Let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. I guess it's going to take place in Israel. I read in that commentary, the ESV commentary, uh, about Armageddon. And the guy said, there's no mountain in Megiddo. So it's not Megiddo in Israel. It's just kind of a reference to global conflict. I was in Megiddo. It's not a mountain of Megiddo. It's called Armageddon, the hill of Megiddo. And Megiddo has a hill, and we stood on it, and we could look at the whole valley of Jezreel, the valley of Ezron. It's this huge valley, and the Bible says that's where they're going to fight it out. That's where all the kings of the earth are going to gather to fight it out, right in Israel. And Jesus said it's going to happen right in Israel. And we got a whole segment of the church saying, forget Israel. Don't forget Israel. Verse 5. They, the scoffers, deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens existed. Okay. God spoke the world into being. Creation ex nihil, out of nothing. God spoke and it happened. By God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and with water. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, or in the, uh, the Genesis teaching, you've kind of got water under and water above, right? Verse 6, by water also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. That's the flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. They deliberately forget. I've read a lot about the flood. And um, I like geology, even though I failed that too in first year university. <laughs> I was pretty stupid. Uh, there's too much of this going on, I've got to tell you. Where's Bethany? Bethany? Bethany's going to Mount A where I went. So you work hard, Bethany. Don't you fail those courses. Um, but I always, I like looking at uh, geology. I like looking at topography and wondering how things happen. And they used to say, like, you know, we grew up in Pitt County. It's got a river valley and, and uh, the East River Valley, and it's got these hills. And they would say, whoa, over eons and eons of time, you know, they wore down these mountains into hills. And I'm thinking, that doesn't look like it. 
It just looks like erosion to me. Uh, it didn't look like they were big mountains. They're just hills. And they probably always were hills, at least, you know, in the uh, distant past. Um, but when you look at, I, I've been to the Grand Canyon. And how many have been to the Grand Canyon? You should go to the Grand Canyon someday. Because uh, it looks like a huge drainage system for the whole western North American continent. That's what it looks like. This incredible amount of water. They said, what well, was that little river weighed? Like it's like a mile deep. You know how small the river looked? Like it looked like a, just this little pencil strip. And you look down and you think, that did all this? It's a mile across and more. Like, I just think, it depends how you look at it. Like if the Bible says there was a flood and you look at the, the earth and you think flood, you can see evidence all over the place. The flood is a testimony to the truth of the Bible. I read a bunch of books written in the second part of the 20th century about that they found the ark. Who man. Like if I was God, I'd be putting that ark on display. I'd say, here it is, everybody, Noah's ark. Come and look. Proves the Bible. That's what I'd do. God just doesn't seem to do that. Why doesn't God do that? Because God wants to be sought for and looked for and searched for. God is not obvious. As much as we would think if he was real, he should be obvious. God is hidden. And God wants us to search for him, not out of what we see with our eyes, but out of the, the, uh, the need of our heart. Is that 12 o'clock? Turn that phone on. <laughs> I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Um, so if the flood is true, if the flood is true, then we can kind of count on that other warning about the judgment by fire is also true. Right? If the flood happened, the, the heavens and earth are being reserved, it says here, uh, for fire, kept for the day of judgment. Um, you know, the, some of those 20th century claims the ark was found were false. See, Christians aren't above doing that. Christians are like secular people. Sometimes they'll go too far and try to prove something, and they'll fake stuff. I still think it's on Mount Ararat, but I don't know if we'll ever get to know that or not before the Lord comes. Um, you know, the, I, I hear it over and over again, and I kind of tend to believe it these days, but climate change, man, it was the hottest July I can ever remember here. But um, that's not the greatest threat to this life, this world. Um, I'm going to read you what the greatest threat is. It's found in Revelation 11:18. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So yeah, God does care about the earth. And yeah, things are changing. There's not much doubt about that. But that's not what you should be really thinking about or worried about. The biggest threat to this world is the judgment of God. And it's coming. I don't know when it's coming, but it's closer than it was. It's on the way. Let's uh, wrap it up here. Um, verse 8, do not forget. So they, they forget, they scoff, they ignore, they forget. Don't you forget. So he's talking to the church. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. That's what it says in Psalm 90, right? A thousand years is like a watch in the night for God. I mean, when you're eternal, what's, it, what's a thousand years? And a thousand years is like a day. You know, sometimes you go through a day, it's like a thousand years, isn't it? I mean, it just you, you can do more living in one day and dying in one day than you got energy for. Um, the compression of time and the perspective of time, we just don't have that. 
We don't see it the way God does. Um, so don't forget that. God has a different uh, sense of time. God, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As under, some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And you know, um, I've always kind of wondered about that verse. Because um, part of me says, you know, the, the doubting uh, human part, uh, says, uh, how can God not want anyone to perish and yet keep creating more people? If God didn't want anybody to perish, why did he stop making people? And I think uh, the answer is more to do with the plan of God, uh, the salvation of the elect of God. Um, when you read the Moody commentary, it says it relates to the salvation of the elect. The you is the church, and it relates to the completion of God's number in the end of history. But the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come like a thief. Ever get robbed? You lock your door? We don't lock our doors. When our son is home from Calgary, locks the door all the time. I'm always going to the door. Who locked this door? He's saying, don't you know? <laughs> he lives in the city, right? We live in the country. Who would bother us? Well, yeah. Uh, but if a thief showed up at our door, there'd be two things I'd be thinking about. It was unexpected. You know, they come and clean up my garage. Oh, my God, they a lot of tools in there. They could do it. I'd be unexpected, and it would be unwelcome. It'd be so unwelcome, I'd be looking for the 410, uh, or the double-barrel 20-gauge uh, that I got from Curtis. Well, I tell you, don't mess with me. <laughs> don't steal my stuff. <laughs> um. Let me read uh, what it says in 1 Thessalonians. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief of the night. It's going to catch all of us a little off guard. Uh, I believe that the, 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 the coming of, the, of Jesus for the church is imminent. It can happen at any time. It doesn't depend on any sign. That's what I think the New Testament teaching is. So it means it could happen any time. And that's why Jesus said, watch and pray, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. The day of the Lord will come like a thief of the night. While peace are, people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. I don't know much about that, but I've seen it happen. And boom, it's time to go to the hospital because something's going to happen. But you brothers are not in darkness that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. The fact that uh, the Lord's coming is imminent ought to make us ready, not unprepared. It'll be unexpected by unbelievers because unbelievers just don't think about God. I mean, before I became a, a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, I didn't think about God. Except when somebody would tell me about God, and like, don't tell me about that. You know? Um, last couple of verses, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way. Well, I better read. Yeah. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, verse 10. The element, the heavens will disappear with a roar. Whew, man. Who some roar? The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. God's going to renovate the universe. It's going to have to. All that innocent blood that's been shed 
crying out from the ground for vengeance, justice. All the injustice in this world that hasn't yet been satisfied, God's going to have to renovate it by fire to clean it up. Here's a good thing, though. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you don't have to get renovated by fire. Did you know that? You get to get renovated by the blood of Jesus. What we did this morning when we took the communion. Every time I take it, I drink it, and it goes down my esophagus into my stomach, and I feel that's just the blood that cleanses me from the inside out. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens and the earth and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And so the question is, in light of his ob the obvious fact that life is temporary, what kind of people should you be? You might not live that long. Some of you aren't going to live that long. Maybe I won't live that long. But guaranteed, I'm going to meet the Lord. The Lord's either going to come for, for us all at the end, but he's also coming for each one of us sometime soon. Life is temporary. When you get older, it's a whole lot more temporary than when you're younger. And so one of the, the struggles of being younger is to get that perspective that what you do today and what you believe today matters for the rest of your life and matters for eternity. That's what I hope you younger people get. It says here that we can look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I looked up that word speed. You know what it is? Spudo. Well, that's where we get speedo, I guess. <laughs> I don't have a speedo. I don't have a speedo. <laughs> and I hope you don't either. Um, but, you know, help speed is coming. I, I like that. We can, we can kind of uh, be involved in hastening the coming of the Lord. And I um, did... Uh, uh, about devotional family camp and uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. 2 Timothy, three times in 2 Timothy, says, make every effort or do your best. And uh, so I looked up that word, and I, I liked the word. And so did Bethany and Jay. Spadazzo. Speed it up. And I was thinking of spadazzo. That's a good word to leave with. It's like, it's like uh, I don't know how many of you women are armchair quarterbacks, but a lot of guys are armchair athletes, right? So when I'm, watching, when I'm watching some quarterback scrambling around, I just say, throw the ball, spinazzo. <laughs> somebody's running down the sideline or, or skating down left wing, and somebody's just waiting there. Just hit him, spinazzo. <laughs> you know, nothing I hate worse than watching a hockey team, like my beloved Leafs, throwing the puck around, just shoot the puck, spinazzo. I'm watching racing. I'm watching NASCAR. And it's like, bump that guy out of the way. Spadazzo. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying to you, church. Follow Jesus. Spadazzo. It's a good word. And that word will end. Let's pray together. Stand with me, please. Lord God, I thank you for your word. 
Lord, it's, uh, it's our life. Through it, Lord, you give us life. Your Holy Spirit uses it uh, to pour truth and grace into our lives. And that's because truth and grace originate in the heart of God. Lord, we talked about a lot of things here today. We talked about a worldview that includes creation and the flood and the incarnation and the judgment. And Lord, I, I suppose there may be some here that's just kind of foreign to them. It's like another world. But Lord, there's something deep inside us that thinks maybe there really is a creator because it really is so incredible. Maybe there really is evil in this world and you've judged it before and you judge it again. You, you judge it with death. And Lord, uh, maybe there could be an incarnation. Maybe Jesus really is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And Lord, if those things are true, it just changes everything. And so it's our prayer today, Lord, that um, if anyone's here without knowing Christ as their Savior, that they would consider these things. That they would consider that someday um, they're going to meet the God who created them. The God who made them unique and special with great gifts and, and put them in a particular family and country and time of history. And they're right here this morning um, hearing about this God. And they would know that this God loves them. Loves them more than they could ever know. That this God isn't somebody who's not good, but that God, you're good. You're beyond good. Good's not a big enough word to describe your goodness. And Lord, your love is great. And Lord, you wanted to rid the world of evil. And well, if that was the case, God, you'd have to get rid of us. But you decided that you would take the punishment, that you would take the sentence of death as the Son of God, and that your death would be worthy enough to count for everybody else's, everybody else who would put their trust in you. Lord, these are big things. These are big decisions. And Lord, I just pray you'd speak to people's hearts that in the end, Lord, what they have to do is call upon the name of Jesus and say, Lord, save me a sinner. And Lord, you'll respond to that act of faith. Father, thank you for uh, the privilege I've had. I don't know how many sermons, Lord, but it's been a lot, and I'm just really grateful. And I pray that uh, we'd remember that word, spadazzo, and we would make every effort to live for Jesus and to wait in faith. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.